Greetings and felicitations. This is Kyle. And this is Benny. And you're listening to The Doctor Who Watcher. The show where I watch the Doctor Who movies and I tell you all about them. That's right, listeners. The long-running podcast where Benny watches all of the Doctor Who movies, the many, many Doctor Who movies, and tells me and through telling me tells you the listeners all about them yeah and uh i i, I know i know that we've uh, uh hold on. <laughs> 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 um, yeah yeah it's nice to you know bring, bring back the classics and uh and remind our listeners of the the podcast that they love so much yeah totally i yeah i, I did notice that you went with our classic intro it's been a few episodes since you've done that so, uh, Kyle, what have you been up to? Um, you know, this is, we're recording this in the first week of the new year and I took this week off of work. So nice. most of what I've been up to is sitting around and I've played some Kerbal Space Program. Nice. And I have... Let's see. We watched a movie or two, and uh, I did get a, a little bit of cleaning in. Not too much, because, <laughs> you know, I am on vacation, but... It's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, my Kerbal game has actually been kind of exciting, because I yeah, have... I, I know you always like to talk about how your Kerbal <laughs> game is going. Uh-huh. Uh, it's one of our recurring bits on our podcast here. It, it is indeed, and in in this installment, I've sent a few missions to Duna, which is kind of the the Kerbal system's sort of equivalent of Mars. Mm. And yeah, it's the first time I've been to that planet, so that's been pretty cool. First time ever, like in all your many years of playing Kerbal. I think so, actually, because in in previous previous times I've played, you know, usually I start over. And in a lot of previous games, I've not really gotten even to the point of like leaving the Kerbin system itself and its two moons. Hmm. And then in the last time that I was playing before this current time, I think I I started going to Eve rather than Duna, which is sort of like their Venus equivalent. <laughs> I, I can follow that logic. Well, cool. Um yeah. Uh, meanwhile, over here, um, I, I did not have this last week off. I had the previous week off, and I played a bunch of video games, <laughs> uh, including Cult of the Lamb, which is is quite fun. Uh, nice. It was once inter- uh, described to me as being, what if in Animal Crossing you could sacrifice your villagers to an elder god? And I was like, okay, cool, I'm going to pick up that game. <laughs> and uh, it uh, it delivered. It, it also has like a... a um, I, I think people have compared it to... Um, the. There's a combat portion of the game is what I'm trying to say. Uh, and I think people have... Co- compared it to the the binding of isaac um it's i i don't know if you've ever heard of this game called hades um but i guess that it's like a, a fighting game and that, i guess that's kind of that like sounds that. familiar so, i i know but like maybe our listeners know it i don't know yeah um and it's a fun game it's a good it's a good one i've played quite a bit of it. i'm playing on easy mode um right from the start because uh 
I'm a little baby and I don't like losing. And uh, yeah, I didn't feel like a challenge. I just wanted to win. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty entertaining. The the description you gave of Animal Crossing plus sacrificing your villagers to Elder God does sound pretty entertaining. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, cool. Well, um, would you like to find out about uh, this uh, this episode's Doctor Who movie? Yeah, let's get into it. All right. So this uh, this one begins on uh, an interior scene of uh, a modern day house, uh, modern day as of of course the nineteen sixties, um, and we start on a young girl reading a huge book. So she's sort of holding it up in front of her face so that we can read the title, "Physics for the Inquiring Mind." Nice. That sounds pretty entertaining. Yeah, it actually sounds like your kind of book, Kyle. <laughs> um, and this this young girl has uh, the sort of classic like little girl haircut where it's like just entirely bangs in front and then a big old ponytail in the back. So you just got lots of bangs and lots of ponytail. Um, like your your quintessential little. If you if you saw her, you'd be like, that is a young girl or a little girl, and you would be accurate in describing her that way. <laughs> nice. Um, and then the camera sort of pans over to this young woman, um, and she is reading Science of Science. Ooh, meta. Uh, also a very uh, Kyle-type book, I think. <laughs> um, and her hair can best be described as big. So I was thinking to describe this, like, imagine imagine the space that her whole head takes up, displace it sort of up and back a bit, and then fill it with hair. <laughs> that's that's kind of her hairstyle. <laughs> wow, that that's pretty pretty incredible. Um, I, I can definitely then, picture that. And then we pan over uh, <laughs> to a, a familiar old man, but he's reading not a book on science, but a comic book. <laughs> oh, so, so charming and whimsical. Classic <laughs> Doctor Who. <laughs> so, of course, you know him, you love him. Uh, he's got white hair and a graying mustache, and he wears round wire-framed glasses. And he's dressed like an eccentric professor um, in a sort of a brown jacket, a yellow vest, and a blue neckerchief. Because, of course, these movies are in color, of course. Right, naturally. And, of course, you know, he's played by our, our own beloved Peter Cushing um, as a twinkly-eyed, eccentric, absent-minded, but brilliant scientist. Right, human scientist. Yes, of course. I, I don't know why I felt the need to clarify that. Yeah, that's a little strange, Kyle. <laughs> um, and uh, he, he always puts on this, like, persona of, you know, the, this kindly old man. And he has this kind of like, you know, this cr crunchy old man way of speaking. <laughs> um, he overdoes it a bit, but we, we, we love him. Um, and uh, so the young girl that we saw first is, of course, Susie, his granddaughter. 
Um, and the young woman, uh, who is the second person that we were introduced to, is Barbara, his other granddaughter. Right, of course. And uh, she says that her, her boyfriend um, will soon be there. And uh, sure enough, um, there's someone outside, and it's Ian Chesterton, uh, Barbara's boyfriend. Um, and he's sort of this sweet but clumsy young man. So his, his introduction is that like as he's going to come in, they open the door for him, and he sort of like stumbles inside, and he sort of crashes into, I think, the, the grandfather clock in there. And it's, the, you know, this comedy moment of this like kind of bumbling and and clumsy uh, young man well real person of person of pratfalls uh yes, person of yes. I, I had him in my notes as a person of stumbling and falling <laughs> <laughs> person of stumbling and falling so he, he he brought a box of chocolates for Barbara, um, but uh, when when he gives it to Doctor Who, Doctor Who puts it down on his chair, on on Ian's chair, and then Ian, of course, sits down, sitting on the box of chocolates, and it's this sort <laughs> of, I would say, wah wah, but there's um, no soundtrack in this scene at all, and no sound cue, so it just kind of feels awkward honestly <laughs> like they're playing it for comedy but it's just sort of it feels because there's no sound or, or you know indication of of like yeah, that sure was a funny moment it just, uh -huh. it just kind of feels you, you kind of feel bad for him it feels awkward <laughs> everyone else Susie and Barbara are just like don't look at Ian pretend like you didn't notice <laughs> Um, and uh, so, so since you know that chair now has squashed chocolates on it, he goes over to another chair, and he's just about to sit down when the doctor stops him um, because he almost sat on a super ionized electrokinetic pre-oscillator. Oh shit! Hard to not notice that if he sits on it. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to sit on one of those. <laughs> Probably so, be going through the roof. Yes, well, uh, you'd, you'd definitely be going somewhere because it's part of Doctor Who's latest invention, um, and he offers to show it to Ian, um, and uh, of course, Ian is is curious, and clearly, Doctor Who is like very excited to show it to him. So um, they're they're going to go out into the garden to to look at it. Sure, lovable um, Doctor Who always always excited to show off his inventions and tell people yes. all about how yes. they work. <laughs> so there's this like quick bit where he calls uh, Ian Harold, um, I guess just to <laughs> remind us that he's kind of absent-minded. Um, it's and again, it's, it's I think it's meant to be a gag, but there's it just kind of feels a little awkward. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they go out back, um, and the the invention is a blue police box called TARDIS. Interesting. Um, I don't know what police boxes, but I guess back in the day, like in England, they had these. It's it's like a phone booth, basically. Just picture a phone booth, and it's blue, and you could uh -huh. only use it to call the police, like as a public public safety type. Thing. Huh. Okay. Um. So it says like police box on it and stuff like that. Weird. Um. And Susie tells us that TARDIS uh, stands for Time and Relative Dimension in Space. So that's pretty okay. cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I thought you might be more enthusiastic for it, but that's <laughs> okay. Probably, yeah, something that came out of, out of her book or maybe out of Barbara's book. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's Doctor Who's latest invention, so maybe one of them named it. Uh, yeah. But um, anyway, yeah, Ian that's looks pretty inside. Cool. Um, and so what what do you think uh, you would see inside a, a time machine slash spaceship type thing? Just like, what, first thing off the top of your head, what would you expect to see inside? Um, I might expect like uh, a panel with some buttons and switches and dials, maybe like... Uh, a uh, kind of spinner thing that shows the year on it where you know like each number of the years on like a separate spinny dial oh that'd be cool yeah um that's, you yeah, are wrong. that's probably what i would imagine <laughs> no <laughs> it does not have any of that um honestly this set seems like it was put together very quickly and very haphazardly um <laughs> and whoever the the set designer or set dresser whoever it was just basically hung a bunch of wires everywhere so you just have these like loose wires kind of hanging off of everything um there's no like central console there's no like view screen um there's hardly any control surfaces of any kind or any way to like you know pilot drive or program this thing it's just kind of full of i i wrote in my notes vaguely sciencey stuff interesting um, most of it's made of clear plastic and um, so you can see there's more wires inside than just like just picture a bunch of wires 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 everywhere just like individual <laughs> wires hanging on everything off of everything it's yeah it's wire time huh yeah i guess they they had a budget for some copper <laughs> well there's there's one more thing i should mention um it's 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 very significant that the uh that the inside of TARDIS is bigger than the police box outside of TARDIS. Oh, interesting. So, like when you open the door and you go in, then this like, you know, wire full room that you see is bigger than the external appearance shell outside of TARDIS. And, and Ian thinks that's amazing and he's like really super weirded out by the whole thing um so it's surprised. kind of like kind of like a reverse of the whole classic trope where you have a time machine that's exactly the same size on the inside as it is on the outside like in bill and ted's excellent adventure yeah like you would you would expect that but you'd be wrong in this case <laughs> <laughs> yeah classic yeah, I wonder. I wonder if Doctor Who got that idea of the that the police box, or sorry, the the um, the phone booth time travel device from Bill and Ted. Um, what year was Bill and Ted? I, anyway, not, not important. We can look it up afterwards. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, well, we can't just like straight up copy it. I know. Yeah. How about if the inside is not the same size as the outside? <laughs> no one will notice. <laughs> Hide your sources. Um, so of course Ian is, like I said, he's still weirded out by this whole thing about being bigger on the inside. So Susie explains how it's possible. In electrokinetic theory, space expands to accommodate the time necessary to encompass its dimension. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense. I can follow that. There you go. <laughs> um, so Dr. Who explains that he's been working on TARDIS for years and they're about to take their first trip through time. Um, so, you know. Good, good timing of, uh, of Ian to come by um, at this moment. Um, but Ian, Ian, he's not really that into it. He doesn't want to go time traveling. So he's a person of no particular courage, and he's about to leave. That makes sense. I mean, 
you have a chance to time travel. Yeah, I mean, you might as well stay home. Yeah. So so Barbara comes in, and so Ian backs up as the door opens and Barbara enters, and he sort of falls over this plunger type thing, and TARDIS turns on and disappears with all of them inside. Oh shit. He's really trying to to secure his place in the person of stumbling and falling leagues. Yeah, um, listeners, I do not recommend taking a shot every time Ian stumbles and or falls. <laughs> I, I might, you know, I'd be tempted to say this might be a fun drinking game, but um, the the inevitable uh, hospital visit that it w- would result in would not be fun. So please don't try it. <laughs> so, so Ian, you know, after the... Um, sounds of the time travel and stuff have died down. Ian doesn't believe that they've actually traveled through time. So he's willing to, you know, go with this whole bigger on the inside thing. But he doesn't believe that they've changed locations or times um, until he looks outside and his face changes. What does he see? What he sees is a, an interior soundstage. Um, this nice. movie has no outside location shots. <laughs> um, uh, it's a sort of like a forest um, with blue and green light. Um, so, you know, not like light lights in universe, but like, you know, some stagehand or whoever lighting director coordinator has set blue and green lights just to make it feel alien and right. sci-fi. Atmospheric. Yes. Nice. He says, Doctor, this is a very atmospheric forest. <laughs> um, sort of. <laughs> I'm sure they're thinking it. I'm sure they're thinking it. So they, they all go outside and look around. And Doctor Who says there must have been an indescribable heat because the earth has turned to ashes. Sort of scoops up some of the, the, the ash from the ground. And we see that they're, they're standing on ashes. Indescribable heat would do that. Yeah. I'm sure that you're already kind of speculating on what could cause such indescribable heat. And uh, in this case, you might be right, but I won't, <laughs> I won't reveal that yet. We'll learn that later. So Ian uh, tries to lean on a tree branch, um, but it snaps. So he stumbles and he almost falls, but he doesn't <laughs> fall. So our users can take a shot that time because he didn't fall. <laughs> Yeah, you, you're more likely to uh, have a, a fun time if you take a shot when he doesn't fall. <laughs> Did I say our, our users? I meant our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're using our podcast by listening to it. Uh-huh. The consumers <laughs> of our content. It follows. <laughs> so Doctor Who says it's a petrified jungle, and it's most interesting. Nice. So Ian wants to go home. He, he's not interested. It, it's not interesting to him. But Doctor Who says it's a chance to learn about an interesting planet. He wants to stay and look around. If Ian was reading a book in the opening scene, it, it would have been history of sitting in this chair for the past five minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Susie, of course, calls Ian a coward. Because um, we're all thinking it, you might as well say it. Yeah, that's fair. So she calls him a coward and says that she's going to go investigate. And so they all go, and they, they look around. Um, they're walking through, through this forest, and Susie spots a flower. Everything else is kind of like gray, I guess, because it's been petrified. It's rock. But uh, this is kind of a pinkish-reddish color, the flower. 
So, so she, she picks it and she lets Ian smell it and Ian starts to smell it when suddenly Barbara screams from off screen. So Ian sort of shoves the flower back at Susie and crushes it. Oh, shit. And she's bummed. So uh, they, they go to see why Barbara screamed and they see a scary monster. So it's, uh, it has four legs. It's kind of lizardy shaped um, and it has this big frill around its neck like... Nice. Like a a rubber dinosaur toy from the old-timey times. Um, It's about the size of a good, not a huge dog, but a pretty nice big dog. Um, And it looks pretty fierce. Nice. Sounds cool. (laughs) So so Dr. Who picks up Susie um, because she's scared. um, But as he's like scooping her up, he sort of bumps into a tree and the tree falls over, which causes Ian, of course, to stumble and fall into the creature, which breaks. It just sort of falls apart, revealing that it was also petrified, like the trees in the forest. Oh, interesting. A nice petrified giant lizard. Yes. At this point, uh, Susie says, Grandfather, look! And she points, and there's a city on the horizon that we can now see, which for some reason nobody noticed or commented on up to this point. <laughs> they just hadn't looked in that direction yet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Is this city like a, a matte painting or like a model or what do we have here? <laughs> I was a little nervous that you'd ask that because I know you're a fan of both models and matte paintings as am I. <laughs> and honestly, I tried to look and tell. I think if I had to guess, I would say a model. Um... But uh, I'm not 100% sure because, you know, this is a movie from the 60s and the resolution is not great and we don't get a great look at it. It's like (laughs) through some trees. Um, So I think the camera is more focused on the trees than the the forest, if I remember. Or (laughs) you can't see the forest from the trees. No, Uh, it's focused more on the trees than the city. Um, So, so yeah, I couldn't say with 100% certainty, but I think it was a model. Right on. Um, Susie and Doctor want to investigate the city, but Barbara and, Barbara and Ian want to leave. Um, so they decide to go back to TARDIS at this point. Um, both Barbara and Ian are pretty nervous at this point. If it was just Ian, I'm sure they wouldn't care. But <laughs> the fact that Barbara is also kind of like she's also reached her limit, um, they, uh-huh. they decide to go back. So on their way back, uh, Susie spots another flower sort of off a short distance away. And so she leaves the group. Uh, we're already splitting the party. Nice. Um, she leaves the group to pick the flower. Um, but as she does that, she hears a crunching noise. And a moment later, a hand reaches out from off camera and seems to punch her shoulder. But she no-sells it like a monster heel in a squash match against local talent and runs off. <laughs> awesome. So this is kind she of a weird shot. It. Because like I said, it seems like someone punches her because like this hand comes in like quickly from off screen. And we get this like punch sound effect like biff um but i think it was supposed to be that this hand is like reaching to grab her and she just like runs off before it can grab her um and i think that some over eager sound person just made it sound like a punch (laughs) i don't know it's hard to say interesting well i guess you can you can headcanon either way listeners yes maybe Susie's just a badass (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it cuts to back on TARDIS and the group is talking about what Susie saw when there's a knock at the door. 
So they're all scared slash cautious, you know, some degree, some more than others. Ian obviously completely soiling his trousers at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, So rather than opening the door to look outside, they decide to check the scanner. Um, And so I said earlier, there's no main view screen, but sort of off on the side, there is this little smaller screen. And so they turn that on and it's this black and white view of the outside. So it sort of like pans around and all we see is trees. It does them no good whatsoever. (laughs) Nice. Good thing they turned that on. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So Ian says he doesn't want to know what it was. He just wants to go home. And so Doctor Who says, certainly. And he pushes one single button on a random device uh, that's like a clear plastic half dome with wires inside and randomly sized colored bumps on the outside. So I know you love your cool sci-fi tech. It's anyone's guess what the heck that one was supposed to be. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, yeah, it sounds so like just one button on it. Brilliant user design or user interface design. <laughs> and then Ian pushes the plunger and nothing happens. Oh, so Doctor guess Who they should says, push a different random button. <laughs> First, we'll try the fault locator. Oh, that makes sense. See if you can locate the fault. Exactly. That's what you do with the fault locator. Um, so the fault locator, it looks kind of like this sonar display. And it's even making these like boop, boop, boop type sonar type pings. Nice. The Doctor Who sound design does love their pings and and boops. And sonar. <laughs> and so Doctor Who says, K7, the fluid link. Um, cool. So they, they go over to the fluid link, which has all these like cylinders that seem to be full of like a silvery liquid. And one of them, I guess, was jarred and needs to be refilled with mercury. So Doctor Who says they should check the city because um, that's the most likely place where they're going to find Mercury. So sounds like he's going to get to investigate the city after all. That makes sense. It's totally not dangerous at all to have a bunch of Mercury laying around. Yes. So they they leave, um, but when they do, they see that there's something outside. There's this narrow, this like long narrow box a few feet from TARDIS. Barbara says, "Be careful." And there's this tense moment where Susie runs up and grabs it and everyone sort of braces for an explosion. (laughs) And Ian, like, you know, is completely cringing at the imminent explosion. But nothing happens. Um, Everything's fine. So they look inside the box and it's full of four vials of this kind of pinkish liquid. Um, And Doctor Who says it looks like some kind of drug. Nice. Party time tonight. (laughs) Um, but we know uh that the what what they're looking for is mercury which is silvery and this is full of a pinkish liquid so it's not gonna do us any good um it's a lucky thing that this is in color and so they just leave the box they're not gonna bother with it and uh the next shot they've seemed to have teleported inside the city it's just from (laughs) this shot outside tardis to now they're in the city nice but don't worry, there is a transition. Doctor Who says... It was a steep climb, wasn't it, Susie? <laughs> so, Classic you, Doctor Who technology of talking about the thing rather than showing it. <laughs> saves money, saves time. Just like our English teachers always said, tell, don't show. <laughs> yep. Uh, so they're walking around inside the city, and uh, it... 
I think they're meant to be like these abstract artworks around and they're sort of abstract shapes, spray painted gold. And the floors and walls and doors all have this kind of teal and salmon color scheme. Nice. I'm into it. It is not nice. No. (laughs) (laughs) It looks horrible. (laughs) It's hideous. Uh, But it's it's sci-fi. (laughs) <laughs> uh, well, it certainly doesn't look like anything someone would consciously, you know, decide to have on Earth. Um, <laughs> so Doctor Who is kind of out of breath as they're walking around, and Ian says he doesn't feel so well himself. Person of of feeling not very wellness. Yeah, just we we, we know that his his uh. Will save is low. We know that his constitution is low. Like mm-hmm. I think, I think his dump status is entire character sheet. The DM has been like asking them to make constitution checks every few minutes, so he was bound <laughs> to fail at some point. <laughs> Sooner than later, it seems. Right on, <laughs> right on par with this sweet old man. <laughs> <laughs> So they split up to find some laboratories uh, to look for Mercury. So Susie goes off with Doctor Who. Barbara goes off by herself. And Ian tries to leave, but the door that he chooses doesn't open. Oh, man. So he walks up to it. He knocks on it. Doesn't open. He uh, he sits down on a nearby statue's base, and the door opens. So he stands (laughs) and tries to go through, and the door closes again. And uh, this kind of goes on for longer than necessary. He sits down, the door opens, he gets up, he tries to go through, the door closes before he can... Anyway, um, I think it's you supposed to be You gotta solve the funny. puzzle, my friend. Um, yeah, it's like, it's like a, a, a one-step puzzle, but uh, clearly it's just too much for Ian. And uh, there's, there's no like soundtrack or sound cue to tell us that this is supposed to be funny or to put us like in a funny mood so it just feel, kind of feels cringe um <laughs> and, and yeah kind of awkward and because you know you'd expect it to be like a or whatever like or something but no just dead silence just us and ian and this door and yeah i mean it's one thing when like the player is fun and cool and they're playing a character who's like kind of cringe but when the player themselves is kind of cringe and like can't figure out the very simple puzzle then that yeah that does get a bit uncomfortable and awkward yeah yeah anyway we cut to barbara and uh, she's walking around in the world's ugliest orangish pink corridor and along the walls there are these kind of like cameras on stocks uh there's multiple, and they follow her as she walks. And then it cuts to Doctor Who and Susie, who find Ian, and he's still struggling with the doors. And it cuts <laughs> back to Barbara, and she's walking down, down this corridor, and then the doors close behind her and in front of her, and she screams. Of course. So you will not get as drunk as you would if you took a shot every time Ian falls down, but this is our second scream already from, from Barbara. So the others uh, run to try to help, but of course uh, the the door is closed that they try to run through because that's the I guess the closest one to where the scream came through, the one that Ian was trying to get through. 
Um, and so Doctor Who, of course, having a better mind for puzzles, he has Susie sit on the pedestal while he and Ian go by the doors and when they open. And then um, he tells Susie to run as fast as she can through the doors while he and Ian holds them. And they're able to hold the doors open long enough and all three of them get through. Nice. I guess in Ian's defense, it is a puzzle that's much easier to solve when you have more than one person. But I'm sure there's like a statue or something that he could have like pushed around onto the the thing. You're, you're very kind, Kyle. <laughs> you're a kind <laughs> man, <laughs> kind person. So so they all make it through the door, um, and they hear this weird ongoing sci-fi noise. Um, it's a little hard to describe. <laughs> um, and they go to investigate it, and they find um, uh, they walk into a room that's full of all these monitors above uh, the door that leads out. And then there's another wall kind of uh, along the side of the room with a bunch of like instruments and panels and stuff uh, going on. Nice. And uh, yeah, honestly, this is, I, I think, the coolest set that we see on the show. Um, like the, the instrument wall is kind of this horizontal cylinder with these flat sides and on the flat sides are the various instruments so the the instruments aren't even like all just flat against the wall but some of them are like sloped up a bit if they're on the top part of the cylinder like sloped down a bit if they're on the bottom part of the cylinder it's pretty cool yeah that's that's kind of fun like I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually kind of into it. <laughs> uh, clearly, they had some budget and they had to spend it somewhere. I guess, I guess this was uh, one of the places they decided to spend their budget. Uh huh. Um, so, Doctor Who finds a Geiger counter as one of the instruments on the uh, among these instruments on the wall, and it shows that the air is heavily irradiated. Um, they all have radiation poisoning, and they have to get out of there as soon as possible. <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> Womp womp. And Ian says they can't leave before they found the fluid link. Uh, but Doctor Who admits there was nothing wrong with the fluid link. That was just an excuse he made up because he wanted to explore the city. <laughs> nice. Good one, Doctor. So Ian wants to get out of there, but they can't. There's a dramatic chord, and the camera pulls back to reveal these strange robotic creatures. Cool. Kyle, I know you're a fan of robots. Um, these are a little, a little unusual looking, but uh, let me describe them to you, and you can tell me what you think. So most of them are blue and silver, um, but one of them is red and silver. Uh-huh. They're all shaped roughly like salt and pepper shakers. Interesting. And they've got these two red lights on top of their heads, kind of like ears or eyes, I don't know. And uh, they have this nose-like stock with a camera on the end. So, you know, if, if they had a head or a face, it would be kind of like nose level, I guess. And then they've got these two arms emerging from the, the center of, of the robot. And most of them have one zappy zap arm and one arm that's a long stick with a plunger on the end. Um, <laughs> but a few of them, instead of the plunger, have this like grabby claw. Nice. Yeah, I'm into it. Yeah, okay. And they're, they're about people size. Nice. Yeah, I'm not sure if I prefer the the plunger arm or the grabby grab arm, I guess. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it depends on what situation you have. Yeah. Um, so we find out later what they're called, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you now. These are Daleks. 
Daleks. Nice. I've, Daleks. I think I've heard of that before, actually. With a D. Yeah. So uh, a door opens, and a black Dalek and another blue and silver Dalek enter. And the black one says, and I'm going to try to do the voice to, because I think it's, it's, it's important that you understand uh, what Daleks sound like. <laughs> cool. You will move ahead of us and follow directions this way. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah. Dalek voices. Cool robot voice. I, I am into it. That's fun. Listeners, Benny did a, a great job of the robot of the Dalek voice. <laughs> uh, guess guess what Ian's uh, reaction to all this is? Uh, to shit his pants and run away. <laughs> well, I could say for for certain that he does one of those things. He <laughs> runs away. <laughs> um, but the Daleks emit this sort of fire extinguisher spray from their zappy zap arms, and he say it with me now. He, he falls, falls down. down. <laughs> um. <laughs> So the black Dalek says he will recover shortly, and it orders another Dalek to search Doctor Who. Um, The other Dalek happens to be one of the ones with a grabby grab, and so it uh, reaches its grabby directly at the fluid link, grabs the fluid link, and takes it, and that's the whole search. So it it has searched Doctor Who. That's it must have rolled in like a 20 on its investigation check to go straight for the (laughs) fluid link. It was very quick. It was uh, very, very efficient, <laughs> I should say. Uh-huh. The DM's like, yep, there's exactly one item on this person that you care about, and you have it now. Yes. So um, they get taken to a cell where they find Barbara. Nice. Got to reunite um, the party and, uh, eventually. So as, as they're you know being led along, uh, Doctor Who and Susie are kind of carrying Ian, like supporting him, and the second they let go of him... Say it with me now. He, he falls, falls over. down. <laughs> um, so, uh, but but they all like check in with each other, and they say that they all feel weak and giddy. And Doctor Who um, tells Barbara that uh, they're all super irradiated. I suppose that makes sense. Didn't know it made you feel giddy, but I suppose that's yeah, better that's than nice. Them. Feeling weak and like and shitty. <laughs> yeah, it might not be so bad to be like incredibly <laughs> irradiated. <laughs> it gets a bum rap. Uh huh. It's 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 the the coal industry, maybe. <laughs> anyway, no, please, uh, listeners, don't. Uh, this is this is a bit. <laughs> um, so we cut to two Daleks in a control room. It's a black one and one of the blue ones. And they are, they're talking and they establish that they have to wear these shells, like the robot shells, um, to protect them from radiation. And they speculate that because the humans that they just caught are sick but not yet dead, they must have something that protects them. Interesting. And they say if, if the Daleks had whatever the humans had, uh, they could leave the city and destroy all others. Cool. So we got some... Some real xenophobic energy from the Daleks here. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so they're, they're, they're watching the humans on this monitor, and they start to eavesdrop. And so as they're listening to the conversation, Doctor Who just happens to be saying that any life outside the city must have anti-radiation drugs, and he reminds the rest of the party of the box they found outside TARDIS. 
guess we should have done something with that item that the DM specifically mentioned to us and pointed out as we left, and we decided to not investigate at all. Yep. They opened it, saw what was inside, closed it again, and left it. <laughs> <laughs> so the Black Dalek enters the cell um, and says that one of them must go outside the city. And I think we all know who the least likely person is to go. So, uh, yeah, it's not going to be Ian. Spoilers. <laughs> the Black Dalek explains that centuries ago, there were two peoples on the planet. So we're getting the, the, the backstory now. Um, the cool. Daleks and the Thals. After the Neutronic War, our forefathers retired into the city, protected by this clothing. And it says that most of the Thals died, and the survivors are mutant monsters. Nice. Sounds cool. Yeah. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> so it says the Thals have a drug that cures radiation, and then the Dalek promises that if they get the drug, they'll give some of them to the humans who will die without it. So, so to his credit, despite what I said earlier, Ian offers to go, but you, you can say it with us, uh, listeners. He promptly he falls, falls down. down. <laughs> I'm imagining that he, he offers to go and he stands up and then he just kind of like trips over his own feet and stumbles. And then the Daleks are like, nah, we think you can stay here. Yeah. Isn't it fun to talk to a Dalek? <laughs> I, think, I think this is a really fun thing. I think it might catch on this whole Dalek uh -huh. thing. So then Susie offers to go, I guess, because she's a, a young girl. Um, and, then, you know, Susie is literally a young girl. Uh, she She's holding up uh, to this radiation better than the others. Um, so they, they try to protest, but, yeah, they're all too sick to stop her. So so it's going to be Susie. Nice. I guess she's got, like, that the youthful vigor yes. to stand up to the radiation poisoning. Yeah. So then we get a long-ass sequence of Susie leaving the city with the Daleks and then walking slowly from the city. But we do get some music, and it's honestly not bad. Um, it's like kind of <laughs> adventurous music. Nice. And then so as she's leaving the city, we hear lightning and thunder, um, or we, we see, I guess we see the lightning, and we hear the thunder, because uh, there's a storm brewing. Um, and uh, yeah, Kyle, you and I know what that's like, because we've had quite a few storms <laughs> brewing and uh, coming and going here in the... Uh, in the Bay Area, it's, uh -huh. uh, it's January as we record this. And I'm a little, I'm a little tired of storms, but we're we're heading into one now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we we see the Daleks uh, in the room with the instruments, uh, where the Geiger counter, by the way, is continuing to ticker tape its tape and to show all the radiation that's going on. Um, they say the young one is approaching the forest, and uh, I thought this was cool that like as they're talking, the instrument wall cylinder kind of rotates. Mm -hmm. So, like, the different instrument panels in different parts of the cylinder get, you know, closer to, like, whichever part of the, the panel you want to use kind of gets closer to you because the whole thing rotates. That's cool. cool. But as they're talking, the Daleks reveal that they will not share the drug with the humans. <laughs> they plan to duplicate it for themselves and let the humans die. Womp womp. Back in the cell, uh, Doctor Who says it's all his fault. Barbara asks him what he means, and Ian explains that there was nothing wrong with the fluid link. And Ian says all they can do is wait, because he is a person of waiting. <laughs> person of inaction. 
person of inaction. Yeah, that's that's kind of that, that that really describes Ian. Well said, Kyle. <laughs> well put. So then we see Susie. She's running through the green and blue lit forest as thunder rumbles and tense music plays. And this is this is, this is kind of a, a cool scene. You know, it goes on maybe a little longer than it has to. Um, and you know, she's running. She stops. She says, "Who's there?" And she runs some more. Um, but then we see this like pink lit figure uh, briefly step into the foreground. Um, we don't really get a good look at it right now, though. Interesting. Um, so Susie, she's running. She falls. The the figure looms out at her. Uh, she she grabs a, a handful of ash and uh, throws it at him. You know, just like scooping it up off the ground, like pocket sand type of thing. <laughs> nice. And then she runs into Tardis. Uh, she or you know runs in, inside Tardis. Um, but she doesn't get the doors closed all the way. And so we get this shot from inside TARDIS at the figure peering in and we get our, our first good look at it. Um, it seems to be wearing this kind of crinkly, plasticky, pink lit blanket is, uh, is what this figure looks like. <laughs> nice. So Susie kind of shrinks back in fear, but then uh, the cloak opens and we pan up on starting with uh, some brown boots some tan pants, a tan vest with a very, very deep V. <laughs> and uh, we see that this cloak that we saw earlier is tied at the neck with a simple knot like you'd see on a children's magician at a children's party or a little kid's Superman costume. And our guy who's wearing this uh, looks human, um, except with metallic gold lipstick, blue eyeshadow, big eyelashes and dark <laughs> eyebrows, Pale, glittery face paint and a metallic gold wig in what I can only describe as a, as a sort of a generic medieval cut. Nice. That sounds amazing. He introduces himself. His name is Aladon, and he is a Thal. Ah, they're from the backstory. Yes. I remember the, the mutant monsters. I'm sorry yeah. if I got your hopes up. This is why I said don't get your hopes up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he doesn't sound very, very mutant-like, but he does sound pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, that's, kind of, that's kind of you, Kyle. <laughs> uh, he says he's sorry he frightened her earlier. Um, he said he came back because he wanted to show them how to use the drugs. But Susie tells him that the others are trapped in the city. He's sorry that he might or might not have punched you earlier. He's not <laughs> sure if he actually made contact or not. But yeah, I mean the, the the die rolled off the table, and the the DM was like, "We're not gonna, you know, we're, we're not really tracking hit points at this stage in the in the campaign anyway, so uh -huh. it doesn't really matter." So uh, Aladon uh, gives Susie a second supply of drugs, which she uh, she hides, and he gives her his cloak. So Susie is confused, and she says, "They said you were mutations." And so Aladon says there were many mutations after the war. Most perished, but this form, two hands, two eyes, has always been best for survival. So Interesting. I guess that explains why they look exactly like humans uh, wearing makeup. <laughs> pretty cheap-looking costume. Uh-huh. So they are actually mutants. It's just yeah. that they, they mutated into humans wearing cheap sci-fi makeup. Very convenient for uh, a studio on a budget is trying uh -huh. to make a movie out of it. <laughs> so Susie says, But they called you monsters. And Aladon replies, If they called us monsters, 
What must they be like? And they pause and they wait for a soundtrack cue, but none ever comes. <laughs> And so Susie uh, returns to the city. We see her in the instrument room and she's got the cloak and she tells the Daleks that she didn't bring anything else. And they have her stand on a platform with this kind of giant flashlight head that gets lowered above her. And it reveals somehow that she's hiding something. There's like this brief shrieking sound, which I guess means that she's hiding something. Um, but honestly, it might have come from Susie. It's a little hard to tell from the angle. <laughs> and so she shows the Daleks the box of drugs that she you know, was going to smuggle back. But the Daleks say that she can give the drugs to her friends. Oh, that's nice. I do not know why. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we cut to the cell. Um, she gives the drugs to the others. They all take the drugs. And Susie tells them about the Thals. And we see that the Daleks are watching them on the monitor. And so uh, the Daleks say that now that they have the drug, they can make it for themselves. Uh, the Red Dalek uh, says that they will rid themselves of their protective machines and move beyond the city limits and destroy the Thals. So, like, uh, you know, they have to, like, periodically remind us what the Dalek's master <laughs> plan is. This isn't the last uh -huh. time. Um, they want to take the radiation drugs, remove the, these robotic shells that they wear, and um, go go take out the Thals. Just in case you happen to start watching this movie, like... 25 minutes in or like 50 minutes in or <laughs> yeah they're, they're 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 very thoughtful that way i guess uh-huh so the black dalek says that they will offer the thals food and kill them when they come to the city for the food and their plan is that they'll have Susie write the message that the thals do not suspect that's pretty devious yeah invite them to a, a deadly barbecue yes so the, the Red Dalek brings them some food and some water, and he asks for Susie, uh, saying that they're going to help the Thals, which is what they wanted to do. So he says, like, that's what you all wanted to do, right? But Ian wonders, how do the Daleks know that they were going to want to help the Thals? Like, hmm, have the Daleks been eavesdropping? So Ian, you know, he did notice <laughs> one thing. He did one thing right. Yeah, I guess that's that's enough for this adventure. <laughs> he can he can relax for the rest of it. Yes, he's he's, he's earned his XP at the end. <laughs> uh, so back in the instrument room, uh, Susie's writing a message with the black Dalek, and on the table where she's writing this message, there are these three lava lamps. They're just lava lamps. <laughs> I guess they thought it looked sci-fi or nice. whatever. Daleks like lava lamps. So the, the black Dalek is dictating the message, and it's saying that the Daleks only want to help and be friends. And the green Dalek is like, Dude, have you ever just stared at the lava lamp for a <laughs> while? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's funny that you should mention a stone Dalek, Kyle. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, meanwhile, on the monitor, we see Doctor Who kind of looking straight at the camera, which is, you know, the, the camera in their cell. Um, so they've discovered how the, how the Daleks were watching them. 
And then once they, uh, once Susie has finished writing the message, the black Dalek reveals that all they wanted was the message. When the thoughts come from the food, uh, the Daleks will destroy them. So once again, you know, you gotta, you gotta repeat your plan as often as possible. Right. You definitely gotta like tell your plan to your prisoners who probably don't really want to help you. Yes. So they take Susie back to the cell. When, when you know, the, the heroes are all back in the cell, because Doctor Who found the camera, Susie climbs up onto Ian's shoulders and pulls the camera off the wall. Nice. Screw the surveillance state. <laughs> and then uh, we see the, the Daleks. They're planning something. You know, the, the red Dalek asks if they should exterminate the prisoners. I guess it just felt like using that word for some reason. Huh. Yeah, that's kind of an odd choice of terminology, but okay. Yeah. And the, the Black Dalek says that the humans have been useful once and they may be useful again. First, they will exterminate the Thals. So I said earlier, I don't know why they bothered giving the, the humans the anti-radiation drugs. Um, I, I guess because in case they were useful later, maybe. I guess, yeah, just in case. You can always kill them later. And then we see the, uh, the Thal camp um, where there's a, you know, a, a bunch of Thals. The, the costume department... Didn't have a lot of ideas when it came to Thal costumes. They pretty much are wearing <laughs> variants of what uh, Aladon was wearing. So all the Thal men are wearing like uh, sh- clothing in shades of yellow, tan, and brown. Pretty much the same thing Aladon was wearing. And then the Thal women wear a sleeveless shirt and a skirt in the same colors. They all have metallic gold wigs, except for the women's wigs are slightly longer. And there is one older Thal man uh, who has a metallic silvery wig. Oh, nice. Gotta indicate who the the elder Thal is. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's also honestly just to help us kind of keep track of who's who, I guess. <laughs> that that Thal will be having dialogue, I guess. <laughs> so they're all they're all sort of talking about their predicament. They're running low on food, um, and if the Daleks don't help them, then they'll have to return to their own country across the great desert, and many of them will die on the journey. So why why they came there when they didn't have enough food? Um, how, why they were counting on maybe the Daleks helping them? I guess because they, 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 <laughs> like, they don't they don't have the Daleks message at this point. They just kind of like randomly say that. Uh-huh. The Daleks Man, I, without food, they... I sure hope that we get randomly invited to some giant barbecue or something. Well, Kyle, as a matter of fact, at that very moment, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Thal runs up with Susie's message. And uh, the, the one with the silver wig asks how they can trust the Daleks since their ancestors waged war on the Thal's ancestors. But Aladon, I think it's Aladon. It's honestly a little hard to keep them, uh, to tell them apart. But I think it's Aladon who says that was a long time ago. And these new Daleks want to be friends. And besides, I think this is Susie's handwriting. So clearly, clearly it's trustworthy. There's no (laughs) possible way the Daleks could have asked her to write it for us and not have been true. Uh, Well, uh... Kyle, Kyle, you may be surprised to learn. <laughs> In fact, it, it is a trap. But yeah, we've been told, I think, twice already that it's a trap. So we, we should know by now <laughs> that it, it is a trap. So back in the cell, Doctor Who realizes that the doors, walls, and floor are all metal. And for some reason, this helps him leap, leap to the conclusion that the Daleks' weakness uh, must be somehow tied to that. 
So I guess there's a, apparently a familiar odor when they move, and Barbara says that she's noticed it too. And Ian says it's like a fairground with the Dodgem cars. Ian's like, it, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, apparently um, it. Uh, uh, yes. Ian's like, you're you're the one who cooked beans. <laughs> well, hold, hold that thought as well, Kyle. <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, Dodgem cars is, I guess, the the UK uh, equivalent of bumper cars. Um, in case anyone was wondering what that is. So, so Susie recognizes it as ozone, which is made by electric power. And so Doctor Who says that, uh, oh, incidentally, we should all uh, clap and appreciate Susie because I think that this might be the one and only time that all that science knowledge that she and Barbara apparently have from all those books that they read will have any bearing on the plot. Nice. I guess they, you know, they remembered that this is supposed to be an educational show for half a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Doctor Who is an educational movie. So Doctor Who says the Dalek power source must be static electricity. And they say if they can insulate the Daleks from the floors, they should be incapacitated. Susie says she can use the cape they got from Aladon. I guess she assumes it must be uh, made of insulating fabric. Handy. <laughs> At that moment, a blue Dalek arrives with food. It gives the food to Susie and then leaves. Um, and uh, after it leaves, Ian suggests smashing the lens in the Dalek's eye and or maybe throwing Susie's cape over it. But then they point out that they need the cape to insulate the Dalek from the floor. So they can't do that. Um, Weren't you listening like Barbara. two minutes ago, Ian? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like after the Dalek leaves... Uh, suddenly Ian has a good idea for how to take out a Dalek. <laughs> the, 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 the person of late, uh, the person of delayed action. <laughs> um, but Barbara has an idea and she grabs a scoop of brown stuff from the, tr the food tray um, that the Dalek brought in. So yeah, it looks kind of like beans. You were saying beans earlier. Um, could, be, nice. could be a handful of baked beans. And then there's a time skip, and all the heroes are gathered around the door. And we see that we get sort of a, a shot of each of them as they're all sort of anticipating whatever's about to happen, sort of building building the tension here, right? Mm -hmm. So um, Susie has the cape spread out on the ground. Ian is holding a lighter. Barbara has a handful of that brown stuff. I guess she's been holding it since she scooped it up like earlier because there was definitely a time skip. <laughs> and we get, we get kind of a zoom in on her hand, kind of smooshing around this brown stuff in her hand in anticipation. <laughs> aren't, you glad, aren't you glad these movies are in color, Kyle? Nice. Uh-huh. Everyone looks nervous. There's no sound. So, you know, we're building tension. There's no like music to help us there, but whatever. Uh, we're used to that by now. So a Dalek arrives with, a, I guess this is the time for the next meal. It gives Susie the food. Uh, but as it backs up um, and the door starts to close, Ian puts his lighter in the, the way of the door. So it uh, gets caught and the door opens again. Nice. And the Dalek's, the Dalek's kind of confused as to what's going on. Um, it tries to come back in as the door is like opening and closing on the lighter. And Barbara says, Dalek! Yes! And she plaps a... Uh, a handful of brown goo over the Dalek's eye. Nice. Barbara, person of action. Pa Barbara, person of plap. plap person goo. of smushed baked beans plapping. <laughs> <laughs> I 
click the baked beans in your inventory, click the Dalek. <laughs> uh, so the Dalek starts to panic about the prisoners trying to escape and not being able to see, and it lets off a few blasts of the fire extinguisher gas from its sappy zap. Uh, and the heroes are all kind of fighting the Dalek and like pushing it around, and they manage to push it onto the cape. And the second it's on the cape, it immediately stops moving, like, instantly. Nice. Guess they don't have, like, a a storage battery on board or anything? Nope. (laughs) No battery, not even, like, a little bit of momentum. (laughs) So Doctor Who kind of opens up the top of the Dalek. I guess it's just kind of got a hinge on there. Ian scoops up something inside into the cape with a disgusted look on his face. We don't get to see what it is, but he throws it into the corner. And so uh, Doctor Who tells Ian to get inside and pretend to be a Dalek. Nice. Ian, of course, is nervous about it, but he does go inside. So we hear Ian's voice from inside the Dalek, and it's kind of Dalekified now. He says there's a lot of controls inside, and he wants to try them. But Doctor Who says not to. They'll just push the Dalek shell along. That's probably safest. You don't want to, like, be accidentally fire extinguishing your friends or something. Yeah, yeah, especially for such a bumbling buffoon as Ian, right? Yeah. So so they leave. They're sort of you know pushing, pulling along Ian in the, the Dalek shell. And as they leave, we get a shot of the cloak in the corner. And this kind of slimy green and gold hand emerges from under the cloak. Nice. So I guess this is the hand of an actual Dalek itself. Yes. And it's, it's kind of left to our imagination as to what the rest of the Dalek looks like. <laughs> Nice. And I guess they're just going to, like, leave it to be irradiated. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, because they did say that the city protects them from the radiation, but they're also wearing the shells inside the city. So, yeah, you know, that hadn't even occurred to me, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so they're going through the corridors, and we get this, like, wacky, fun music proving that, like, I guess they did have wacky, fun music. This is just the first time that we've heard it. <laughs> and then they come across a Dalek guard. So uh, Susie has an idea. She pretends to be scared. And so uh, the Ian Dalek is like, grab her. And it, the Dalek grabs her. You know, because if you ever want someone to, to do what you want or to, to decide with you, get them to... Anyway, I don't know. It seemed, it seemed like a pretty quick thinking to me, mm-hmm. um, especially on Susie's part. And then they enter an elevator, and the Dalek leaves, and um, Doctor Who sabotages the door. He sort of, like, nice. you know, smacks it. Nice. To get some, like, uh, you know, fireworks inside the door or whatever, firecracker. And the Dalek reports back to HQ, but it learns that there was no movement order, and the HQ says to hold the prisoners. Meanwhile, in this, like, elevator shaft room thing, uh, they try to get Ian out of the Dalek shell, but he's stuck. (laughs) So Ian can't catch a break. And the the Dalek tries to open the door, but finds that it can't open the door. And so it calls for another Dalek, and a Dalek with a blowtorch arm arrives. Nice. And starts cutting through the door. Meanwhile, they... they're trying to, like, you know, all 
uh, get into the actual like elevator part of the elevator, but they can't get Ian in to the elevator. Uh, excuse me, the lift <laughs> because the lift is like the the ground level is um, off a little bit from the the elevator ground level, like the ground level of the room. So because uh-huh. they can only roll him, they can't like roll. And he's stuck, and so they can't get him out either. Oh, so sure. Yeah, that makes sense. They uh, are forced to ride off in the lift uh, without Ian, and they have to leave him behind. Um, and at that moment, the Daleks uh, get the door open, and they blast Ian's Dalek shell with a fire extinguisher gas, and it explodes, and uh, they open the shell, but they find no Ian inside. Uh, so we cut over to our heroes, and we see the elevator come up, and Ian's inside, and the heroes rejoice. <laughs> and there's no indication whatsoever of how he got out or how he got away from the dice. <laughs> nice. Person of ambiguous escapes. <laughs> yes. Um, then we get a shot of the Thals arriving. So, you know, they're showing up to the city uh, for the food. Um, and then we see the Daleks uh, riding up the elevator after the heroes. Um, but Ian grabs the control panel from the room that they're in and drops it down the elevator shaft onto the elevator and presumably stopping it. You know, we hear the sounds of like, you know, stuff falling on stuff. So nice. And then Doctor Who says they must warn the Thals and they rush off. And uh, we see the Thals kind of coming in through the doors, uh, you know, in anticipation. They're all carrying empty baskets. Uh, for all the yummy food the friendly Daleks are about to give them. <laughs> in the instrument room, which is you know handy that they're using this set because it's the coolest set, the Daleks have all piled up what looks like if Duplo created fuel cans. <laughs> so nice. whatever mental image that gives you. And the, I mean, presumably that's the food that the Daleks uh-huh. are going to give them. Um, so the Thals all get, go inside. Um, and, uh, the, the, the silver haired Thal stops them and enters kind of cautiously. He motions the other Thals forward and they're about to enter the room just as Dr. Who enters through another door shouting, it's a trap, go back, run. <laughs> then a bunch of Daleks come out and, uh, the silver haired Thal gets double extinguished oh, by shit. the red Dalek and a blue Dalek and falls down the other Thals all drop their baskets and flee back the way they came. Dang, so they're not even going to go home with empty baskets. <laughs> they're not going to even... They're not going to bring home food in baskets. They're not going to bring home empty baskets. They're not going to bring home baskets at all. So our heroes uh, duck back inside the doorway they came through, which I may have mentioned was a different doorway than the ones the Thals used. But in the next shot, we see them fleeing along with the Thals. So <laughs> I guess they... they the editors decided to save us a bit of time. The corridors connect like just a little ways down. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so back at TARDIS, Aladon thanks Doctor Who for the warning. And Aladon doesn't understand why the Daleks tried to kill them. Doctor Who says, You are different from them. And they are afraid of anything different. And what people are afraid of, they try to destroy. Yeah, I suppose that tracks. We we did establish that the Daleks are xenophobic. Yes. Yes. Insert your modern political joke reference here. So so Doctor Who says that he wants the Thals to fight the Daleks, but Aladon says they are a peaceful people. And Aladon says that they will survive somehow, I guess. So 
Doctor Who bids them goodbye, and our heroes get back into TARDIS. And then we cut back to the Dalek city, and the black and red Daleks are watching a monitor that shows some Daleks in a room. And uh, yeah, remember what we said earlier about the, the stoned Dalek? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, we hear... The drug of the Thals has been duplicated! And they say they're going to test it on the Daleks on the monitor. Then we cut to TARDIS. Yeah, I don't know why. Instantly, this happens, I think, even more than I am letting on. But, like, there's a lot of scenes like this where there's, like, two things happening at once. And, like, unnecessarily, we cut back and forth between them. Oh, when weird. we could just do one scene and then do a different scene. I, uh-huh. I don't know. It, I guess they, they felt like nothing particularly interesting was happening in either scene. So they had to, like, increase <laughs> the interest by cutting back and forth. Try to anyway. keep you engaged a little bit. Yes. <laughs> So inside TARDIS, the heroes try to depart, and nothing happens. And Susie remembers that the Daleks took the fluid link, and oh, they still don't have shit. that. Yep, the fluid link <laughs> that was not actually broken and out of Mercury. So the DM this whole time has been, like, you know, kind of raising their eyebrows and like <laughs> doing very pointed kind of, like, hmms and are you sure's and... <laughs> So you're ready yeah. to go back to TARDIS now, huh? Uh-huh. You think the adventure is done now, huh? So they uh, they leave TARDIS, and they try to convince Aladon to fight, um, but he's still reluctant. And at this point, it really made me realize, yeah, they were really just going to leave the Thals. Like, <laughs> they were 100% ready to just peace out and... Uh, GTFO and leave the Thals to, I guess, not all starve on the way back to their home, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's like, well, yeah, Aladon said it'd be cool, so. <laughs> uh huh. So, uh, yeah, Aladon is still reluctant to, to fight. Then we see the black and the red Daleks. They're watching the uh, Daleks on the monitor and they're saying, out of control. Help me as they scoot around uncontrollably and they realize that they won't be able to use the drug of the Thals after all. So the whole getting the, the drug from the Thals and replicating it plot, it came to nothing. Bad trip. Yeah. But they have a backup plan. Nice. They're going to explode a neutron bomb, irradiating the whole planet to the point where not even the Thals with their drug can survive. Oh, cool. Yeah, that, that should do it. Yeah, that should have been their plan A. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why they bothered with the the drug and all that. I mean, yeah, totally. If you want, if you wanted to like live peacefully coexisting with the Thals, then like maybe the drug would be a good idea. But oh, they that that, that was never <laughs> yeah that was never part of the plan. Uh-huh. <laughs> Either plan. So back at the Thal camp, Aladon shows Doctor Who kind of a softball sized white D eight inscribed with the writings of the history of their planet. Nice. So Doctor Who says he wants to help them rebuild that civilization and fight for their people, but Aladon continues to refuse. So uh, when Doctor Who sees Aladon is sweet on one of the other Thals, he has an idea. He tells Aladon that if he gives the Daleks a Thal to experiment on, the Daleks might give them back the fluid link in exchange. 
<laughs> and Doctor Who tells Ian to grab Aladon's crush and take her to the Daleks. Cool. So, uh, a p- prisoner exchange, kind of, but we're going to give somebody over to like be tortured and experimented on. So, uh, did, did I see the door open behind you, Kyle? You did. Uh, yeah, here's our our co-host has just joined the room. What, Kyle, you, you know, you know the, the Doctor Who's Watcher doesn't allow a co-host? <laughs> <laughs> it's a recurring bit. No co-host allowed. <laughs> Matilda, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. We're doing a podcast right now, Kitty. Well, I, 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 hope, I hope she's at least quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so, so Doctor Who tells Ian to grab Aladon's crush, and Ian starts to protest, because I guess he's actually a nice guy, but Doctor Who gives him like this big theatrical wink. <laughs> um, so Ian grabs her, and Aladon protests, you cannot do this! And he runs over to Ian and socks him one. Nice. Just punches him right in the face, and Ian spins around and falls, falls down. down. And uh, so Doctor Who tells Aladon, you see, you will fight for something. So, nice. Guess he yeah. proved his point. K- kind of a misogynistic scene, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but it did get yeah. Ian punched, though, so. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> so back to the Daleks and the Daleks say the neutron bomb will be ready for explosion in one hour. Nice. In one hour. We will be so masters of this planet. So I guess they like being masters of planets. <laughs> I don't know if that'll ever come up again. Yeah, probably not. So in the uh, the Thal camp, uh, Aladon shows our heroes a map of the city. Um, we see that uh, there is a swamp full of dangerous mutations outside the city. Um, Aladon says that a small group will go that way, led by our brave friend. And he kind of claps Ian on the shoulder. <laughs> um, I don't know what movie he's been watching, but yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the rest of them will try to find another way into the city. And then the Daleks, we see the Daleks say that they have detected both Thal groups approaching. They say they will move to stop the larger group, but they are not worried about the other group because they will die in the swamp. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah let's not pay attention to them at all, because they'll probably just die on the way here. Yeah. Uh, then we, we see the swamp, um, and uh, one of the Thals that's going with Ian and Barbara is already nervous, but another one of the Thals tells him to be quiet. So they're, they're walking through the swamp, and after about 30 seconds, Barbara asks for a rest. <laughs> uh, so they all stop, and Ian starts to wash his face in the water, he even, like, submerges his face in the water. And they were told, like, remember, like, they were told in the previous scene that they were in that the swamp is full of dangerous mutations. And my dude is, like, right. literally sticking his whole head under <laughs> the water. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he sees something scary under the surface. And we, we just, from his facial expression, we know it's scary. We don't actually see what it is. Then uh, one of the Thals says that there's water pipes. They can see water pipes running under the, the surface of the water. And Barbara points out that that must be where the Daleks get their water from, if there's water pipes. Makes sense. So most of them head out. They're going to follow the pipes. Um, one of the Thals remains behind to fill the water bags. 
as they walk along, one of the Thals uh, gets stuck in the mud, and Ian and Barbara and kind of uh, pull them out. Um, that's it. That's like the whole scene. Uh, it's just a little <laughs> tense or whatever, but uh, so then we hear a scream from the Thal who is filling the water bags, uh, and the group hurries back, but all they see is the water churning and no sign of the Thal, and they leave. Um, well, one down, several to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, two two more Thals and Ian and Barbara. Uh-huh. He's just an NPC. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like in uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, you know, some some of your characters are like uh, Lady Agrius and stuff, um, and they matter, and you care about them, and some of them are not. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, I should I should mention that the water is crystal clear. You can clearly see the water pipes um, and the sand along the bottom, and it's about two feet deep. So <laughs> yeah, where where that thaw went or what happened, um, I don't know. Uh, so back at the thaw camp, we see Doctor Who making plans with Aladon. And uh, despite the Daleks saying earlier that they detected a large group approaching the city, we see that the Thals are definitely still in prep mode. And like they've, they've got a campfire going, everyone's sort of sitting around. They're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're not approaching any city yet. Nice. Daleks are like, yeah, we see a large group of Thals preparing to make plans to think about approaching the city. Maybe they approach the city, then they stop the main camp, and they're going to go back to approaching the city once they've had a nice sit-down. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, they got close to the city and they're like, oh shit, we haven't had a long rest in a while. <laughs> Let's recharge our... You a long rest, you got your full HP. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Doctor Who says that uh, he wants a way to approach the city without being detected. Aladon says... But you're a man of science. Surely you can think of a way. And Doctor Who replies... Yes, yes, but it's not all that easy, young man. <laughs> And we see Ian and Barbara's group reach the mountain. The water pipes go over it. Ian doesn't want to climb it. He says he doesn't want to climb it, and then one of the Thals kind of gives him a look, and he says, I was only thinking about Barbara. <laughs> uh-huh. Sure, Ian. Person of yeah. not climbing mountains. Yeah. Person of misogynist excuses. Uh-huh. What a gent. <laughs> so they climb, and actually, I, I like this set. They use some like forced perspective to make the the mountain look like a mountain, and there's this gorgeous matte painting of like a bigger, bigger, more impressive mountain behind them with this nice. moon rising above it. It's it's actually kind of cool. Nice. Uh, we're getting some wind here. Uh, if any of that shows up on the recording, <laughs> my apologies. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit windy here too a few minutes ago. So yeah, we we, we get this long scene of them climbing, and like um, we get some unnecessarily epic climbing music <laughs> like at one point they kind of have to help barbara and they're like kind of pushing and pulling her up and when she did get near the top and yeah it goes on for a while so the producers are like so we can afford like five to ten minutes of music that should be enough for our our feature length <laughs> movie right uh, an accurate observation kyle <laughs> <laughs> so then we, we cut to the black dalek and uh, in this shot, the camera is at waist level, 
and it's like really close up on the Dalek looking up. So nice. I, I can't I can't describe it as anything other than a BJ shot. Sorry. <laughs> and the black Dalek says it's looking forward to blowing up a hot load of radiation from his <laughs> neutron bomb. Nice. Definitely looking to blow that load. We we see a bunch of gathered Daleks who are all watching this and they excitedly chant <laughs> Blow the load. Uh, you just need a little encouragement sometimes. <laughs> uh, then we see Ian and Barbara's group cut to cut to them. Um, they're in some caves now. Um, they light some torches, which honestly just looks like they light some petrified tree branches on fire. I guess they're flammable. Don't think about it too hard. <laughs> um, the the Thal, who was kind of nervous earlier, tells the other Thal um, that he wants to go back, but that Thal won't let him. We, we learn that the, uh, the, the, I guess, the more courageous of them is named Ganadus, and they struggle, and Ganadus slugs him one, and he falls back against the wall. <laughs> And Ganadus must have a right hook like a sledgehammer because the cave ceiling starts to crack and fall from the impact of the thaw that got punched hitting the wall, I guess. <laughs> nice. So the two of them scramble away from the cave-in, um, but it falls in, the wall falls in, the ceiling comes down, and they can't go back. So the doll who wanted to turn around can't. Too well, bad. That sucks for him. Yeah. Back at the camp, um, the, the camp where uh, Doctor Who and Susie are, Susie is chastising Doctor Who for not watching the cakes, which have burned. Because we look over and we see there's like a campfire <laughs> with these can- cakes that were baking, I guess. So, yeah, when you said they took a long rest, you, you, you had the right of it. <laughs> and as they're talking, uh, there's this light that gets shown in uh, or shined, uh, I don't know, uh, into Doctor Who's eyes. And we see that it's the reflection of a mirror being held by two Thal women who are kind of stroking their wigs and, like, doing their hair, I guess. Which gives Doctor Who an idea, and he asks Aladon for more mirrors. Nice. Daleks hate looking at themselves. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, then we see Ian and Barbara's group again, and they've reached a chasm. Uh, and uh, so Ganadus ties a rope around himself, and he jumps across. And Ian ties the other end around his waist, and he runs back, and he starts to run, but then he stops, and he says he needs a longer run. So he runs back further, <laughs> and he takes another running, you know, run up to it, and he jumps, and he's able to jump across. Nice. And then Barbara's up next, and she does it in one try. Nice. And then the, so the last one uh, is the cowardly Thal, and uh, he sort of just stands there, and Ganadus throws the rope to him, and it hits him on the chest and falls to the ground as he just sort of stands there. <laughs> and uh, Ian says it's perfectly safe. He'll catch the Thal when he jumps, and so the Thal reluctantly ties the rope around his waist and jumps, but he starts to fall back, and Ganadus tries to grab him, but biffs it, and the Thal falls over the edge. Oh, shit. And then Ian, who's still tied to the other end of the rope, gets pulled over. Uh-huh. And this time, I'm going to come some slack on this one. Like, you know, he has an excuse <laughs> for falling over this time. And he gets kind of pulled 
to the edge and he starts hanging from the edge. So we cut to the, uh, the larger group of Thals with Doctor Who and Susie and they're approaching the city. So now they really are approaching the city. Uh, for reals this time. <laughs> the doll looks like that report I made earlier. It's like actually happening now. Come on, guys. Like, for real. <laughs> <laughs> so the group, uh, they all have mirrors. I don't know why the dolls have shit ton of mirrors. Like, they barely seem to have any supplies or equipment whatsoever, but apparently everyone's got a mirror. They all have these lovely, you know, metallic gold wigs, and I guess the way they keep them looking so shiny and sparkly is... Uh, anyway, um, they all start kind of shining these mirrors up at the Daleks, and Doctor Who says that shortwave light radiations will confuse their detectors. <laughs> so if we, like, shine a flashlight in their eyes, then they'll get confused. Yes, exactly. And uh, if that plan seems uh, a little questionable to you, it seems questionable to, even to the writers of the show. Because <laughs> at this point, uh, the Daleks... There's this kind of like small cliff leading up to the city and that cliff, the, like the cliff itself starts to open. Like the two halves start to move away from each other, moving left and right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the Thals can't climb up the cliff to reach the city. And the Thals just basically start to flee as the, the Daleks come out. So Doctor Who and Susie, they don't flee, but they, they do just kind of cower along with a couple of the Thals. Uh -huh. And so, yeah, they, they get captured. So cut back to the uh, the group in the cave, and the cowardly Thal is just kind of uh, dangling from the, the rope. And Barbara and Ganadis are trying to pull Ian up, uh, but they can't. And because, you know, the weight of the, the, the other Thal is pulling him down. Right. And so the, the dangly Thal pulls a knife. Oh, shit. And Ganadis... Antidus shouts, no, Antidus, no, but it's too late. Antidus cuts through the rope and falls. Rip. Dang. Dang. It's a NPC sacrifice there. Yes. So then uh, Barbara and Ganadus pull, pull Ian up now that the, that the rope is cut. And they all look bummed. Until Antidus calls out, Hey, get me out of here! And Ian and Barbara smile as Barbara says, Oh, what a relief. So, in movies, <laughs> when like, someone dies, but they sort of pull the punch, like when Chewie blows up in The Rise of Skywalker, and it's like, oh, no, it's okay, uh, Chewie's fine. And then like, five yeah. minutes later, yeah. It's kind of cheap. Huh. Kind of a fake out. So, I guess the fall just wasn't that bad. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> He's like... Don't you know thals are like squirrels? We can't die from falls. That's a, a real thing. <laughs> Our body hits terminal velocity at a speed that's too slow to damage us. Yes. They, they do wear a lot of brown. I guess that's kind yeah. of squirrel-like. Anyway, <laughs> moving right along. Um, we're, we're, we're getting near the end now. Um, back in the instrument room... Doctor Who, uh, you know, and Susie have been taken captive, and so Doctor Who's saying he wants the Daleks to live in peace with the Thals and share their knowledge, but the Black Dalek wants to be the ruler and share nothing. <laughs> so I, I, I don't think there's going to be a compromise there. I don't think that those two, those two views are necessarily fully compatible. Yeah, there's, there's kind of a, a pretty stark difference there. 
might take a, a few votes to determine which view's gonna gonna go out on top. Yeah. So the the black Dalek orders the red Dalek to start a countdown, and the red Dalek starts counting down from one hundred while staring at a big countdown timer a foot from it. <laughs> And uh, back to the large group of Thals who fled. They're all looking demoralized. They're sort of um, regrouping back by TARDIS. When Aladon stirs them up with a 10-second rousing speech. I didn't time it, but it lasted about 10 seconds. And uh, yeah, now, now they're all fired up again. Nice. So we cut back to the instrument room when the Daleks and Doctor Who and Susie. And the countdown has reached 68, which is almost nice. <laughs> And Doctor Who offers to tell the Daleks about his machine for crossing time and space in exchange for them not exploding the bomb. But the Black Dalek doesn't believe that they actually have a time machine. That's that's fair. If I was the yeah. Black Dalek, I don't know if I'd believe that either. Yeah, someone named Doctor Who told me he had a time machine. I don't know if I'd believe him. But, but Doctor Who says that the component that they took from him earlier proves that it's a piece of a time machine, so he must have a time machine, and I guess that that's kind of uh, compelling. So a helpful blue Dalek goes and gets the fluid link, because you know, <laughs> he, he referred to it, so they have to go get it, I guess. Uh huh. And the black Dalek, who's now on board, says they will use Doctor Who's machine to conquer other planets. Nice. So, you know, he, he, he's a go-getter. Yeah. Why conquer just this planet when you can conquer all sorts of planets? Yeah. So Ian and Barbara's group, meanwhile, has reached the city, but there is this kind of barred gate uh, separating the caves from the corridor. So there's these bars across the, the cave entrance, um, or the city entrance, depending on which side you consider it from. Anyway, uh, don't worry about it. It's not even worth talking about, because Barbara <laughs> sticks her arm through the bars, and there's a button right there on the other side. She pushes the button, and it opens the gate. Nice. That's it. I, I don't know why they bothered with that. But, but good, good on Barbara for, for solving that puzzle. Uh-huh. Person of, of gate opening. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's a cool title. So the Daleks have detected that there are Thals in the city, and they sound an alarm. And uh, a blue Dalek um, comes across Ian and Barbara's group, and uh, they, uh, they run from the Dalek, and they escape in a lift, and the Dalek calls it in. Oh. And so the uh, Black Dalek sends out an order. Attention! Portal moving to upper control room level 27. Destroy them! And I can't tell you how redundant it feels in the movie. <laughs> So, you know, the, the group's running around, and a blue Dalek has them dead to rights when suddenly someone throws a rope over it and pulls it back, and it's Aladon with a bunch more Thals. Nice. So they sort of pull on the rope, and they pull the Dalek into an elevator shaft where it falls apart as it plummets down. And this is actually like a, a pretty cool, um, you know, practical effect because it's just the Dalek, you know, shell prop thing that they pretty much just shoved into the elevator and then <laughs> they see how it breaks apart and it's like oh cool the head came off and the nose snapped off and stuff and it's like uh -huh. yeah they, they sure got that Dalek <laughs> <laughs> nice oh, yeah why bother doing like a fancy special effect when 
just a nice you just break up old up. fashioned practical of shoving a prop down the elevator shaft. <laughs> yes. Um, so Aladon says there were no Daleks on the walls. So they, that's what they, why they were able to get into the city so easily. Um, also, you know, very convenient for moving the plot along because uh, we're nearing the end of the movie now. <laughs> and Barbara says there must be a reason. So we see two blue Daleks going down a corridor. Ian and Aladon hide at the end of the corridor, sort of one on either end of the, the exit of the corridor. And so as the Daleks emerge, Ian and Aladon both grab one each and they turn them to face each other and they fire extinguisher each other and that immobilizes them both. Nice. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I hope you find it exciting when people grab Daleks and turn them to fire extinguish each other because uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, put a pin in that. Um, so the group runs past. And they all enter the instrument room, and they start to push the Daleks around. So, uh, yeah, this is, uh, you didn't have to, you can take the pin back out now, because the Daleks are sort of fire extinguishing each other and blowing each other up, as Doctor Who and Susie are hiding in a corner. Um, Doctor Who is kind of like sheltering her, protecting her a little bit, which, you know, yeah, he's an old man, and she's a little girl, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You do have to remember Susie is a little girl, so like a young young girl. Yeah, that's a, a true. little girl who's young. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Ian, in, in all the confusion and the fighting, he sort of ends up next to the countdown timer, and so Doctor Who calls out, Night! Stop the countdown! The bomb will destroy the planet!" And he sort of looks at the timer, but there's no like stop button or turn off button or anything. So instead, uh-huh. he calls out. And he does the thing that he's best at. He hits the floor. Nice. And a bunch of Daleks turn toward him, and they start to fire extinguisher at him, and it hits the console, and it blows it up. (laughs) Who would have thought that Ian would save the day by falling down? Doctor Who would have thought, (laughs) apparently. I thought that pun was rather clever. (laughs) Anyway, the Daleks all stop moving, and uh, we're, we're back at TARDIS. Um, that was the, the big finale that we just saw. Um, now it's time to end the movie, so Doctor Who uh-huh. puts the fluid link back in its spot. They all leave TARDIS to say goodbye to the Thals. Um, the Thals are sort of lined up, sort of in these two two rows, leading up to the, the main Thals, and our heroes are just sort of walking along in between these rows of Thals. And uh, we see Aladon standing there with, like, I guess, presumably um, the, the muckety-mucks of, among the Thals. And so, you know, Doctor Who gets a medal, and Barbara gets a medal, and Susie gets a medal. But Ian, for some reason, like, I, I forgot to mention this earlier, but he's a Wookiee, and <laughs> they don't give him a medal. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't... He kind of does, like, the, the, the Wookiee shout. <laughs> As the music swells and they all just kind of look at him and don't give him a medal. Yeah. And uh, Dolly the Dalek, you know, the friendly Dalek does this kind of like beep, beep, beep and shuffles from one foot <laughs> to the other in the background. And then uh, the, the tall gold Dalek sort of quiets him down. <laughs> uh-huh. These were the Daleks that we later learn were hand built by the main villain 
when he was a kid. <laughs> oh, they, they only filmed those anyway. <laughs> filmed those years later. Uh, no, instead of instead of medals, they get cloaks. They get uh, some of these like you know crinkly cloaks, like what uh, Aladon had earlier. Um, what, he, what he gave to Susie. Nice. Uh, so they all say their goodbyes, and as they're leaving, Ian puts his cloak on, and Susie says, "You'll look pretty funny wearing that in London." And Ian says. And he bumps into the door as he enters TARDIS. He's kind of like <laughs> bumps the door, and it's it's comedy, the heights of comedy. So inside TARDIS, uh, Doctor Who says that they'll return to their time and place now. And Ian pushes the lever, and there's some sci-fi machine noises. And uh, yeah, I guess it's uh, time to go home. Nice. But Ian opens the door, and instead of seeing their own little garden, he sees stock footage of Roman soldiers marching toward the camera. What? And so it ends on Ian closing the door and running inside and screaming while randomly hitting buttons and pushing the plunger lever over and over again. So just imagine him screaming, pushing buttons, pushing the lever, screaming, pushing buttons, pushing the lever. (laughs) The end. And meanwhile, the DM's like, dude, I'm burning through adventure modules here. You got to pick one. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Doctor Who and the Daleks. Nice. Well, that was that was a fun movie. Yeah. So, given that this is the end of this movie, then we have a a traditional question that I like yes. to ask you, Benny. Yes. Would you recommend that I or the viewers watch this movie? Um, I'm kind of torn. Like, I really like the Daleks. I, uh, I, I think it's such a shame that they're in this kind of like mediocre film. Um, cause honestly it wastes a lot of time. Like none of the humor works. I find Ian's bumbling buffoonery to be really cringy and uh, it's kind of awkward, painful to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say just maybe look, look up the Daleks and, and think about how much you wish that they could have been in something better. <laughs> yeah, that seems that seems fair. The Daleks do seem cool. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame they had fire extinguishers that they shoot from their zappy zaps. It seems like they should be sh- shooting like you know something else. But yeah, yeah. Like there could be like some I don't know some cool effect that that yeah. they do with the film or something to make it look neat. Yeah, yeah. But, oh well, missed opportunity, I guess. Yeah. All right, well, listeners, I guess we'll see you next time. But uh, don't worry, because the next one is actually, uh, I'll give you the title now, as we always do, Daleks' Invasion of Earth 2150 AD. Oh, nice, another Dalek one. Yeah, uh, the Daleks do return. Somewhat awkward title. Daleks' <laughs> Invasion Earth 2150 AD, but I guess that's what it's called, so we'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Or do we end it on a 
Bye bye. <laughs> See you later. See you later. And scene. Okay. <laughs> so, so, listeners. listeners <laughs> you may be wondering what you spent the last two hours listening to. We hope you enjoyed our little April Fool's goof here. There were there were two uh, films in the '60s uh, starring Peter Cushing as Doctor Who, uh, and we, we decided to take advantage of uh, Saturday being uh, April first to to drop and it being an off week in terms of our regular releases. And yeah, yeah. We, we, this is bonus content, so it's an off week. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, so we, we decided to to treat you to um, a, an episode sort of ish about one of the Doctor Who movies. Um, real talk, it is not very good. Um, <laughs> the second one is also not very good. So I don't. I, and as you saw in this one, as you may recall from our Dalek serial, uh, it pretty much is just following the plot. And then the next one is basically just following the plot of the Daleks' invasion of Earth. So I do, don't know if the other one's going to be worth doing. I, we thought this one might, might be fun to like do the reverse rules and stuff, but I think uh-huh. that the gag sort of like you know <laughs> wears off eventually. It might have played so, itself out. Um, yeah. I do want to make sure the listeners know that we did do this episode like fully properly in that I have not actually watched this movie. <laughs> I mean, you, you know you know what happens because it's the same yeah, thing. Yeah, it's, it's the same plot. I <laughs> was actually Daleks? kind of like I knew that it was the same plot, but I was actually a little bit amazed by like how closely it really follows it like beat for beat. The part that surprised me was that they even did the the petrified creature in the forest. That was uh-huh. the part that felt to me the most unnecessary. Like you know, oh, it's this thing. Like that they don't need to. Well, maybe they did need to waste time. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I did want to mention uh, now that we're you know uh, doing our little shoot segment at the end here, and we can break kayfabe is that uh, the reason that the Daleks use fire extinguishers in this one um, is that they couldn't do the film negativization effect because they're using color film. So oh, I, I did look this okay. up. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So the movies were, were both color and you can't do, or at the time they couldn't do the film negativization effect uh, with with color film, or at least not in a way that would work for this. And I know that they considered having the, the Daleks have flamethrowers instead, but apparently that was going to be scary for the kids. So, um, yeah, we got we got fire extinguishers instead. Huh. <laughs> well, now I'm really curious, like what the Daleks are going to be doing in the regular show when we eventually get to color episodes. Hopefully, not this. <laughs> <laughs> So since since I, you know, at this point, at this moment in time, have no intention of ever doing the Daleks' invasion of Earth 2150... Sorry, I'm, I'm even making it different. There's Daleks' invasion Earth 2150 AD. I'll mention that in that one, the, the party is actually Doctor Who, Susie. We get Susie back, but we don't get Ian and Barbara. In that one, we have Tom Campbell, who's a cop, and Louise, who is Doctor Who's niece. So Doctor huh. Who in the movies has all sorts of family. He's got two <laughs> grandkids, at least, uh-huh. and at least one niece. So implying si- siblings, spouse. Right. Yeah. Fascinating. And and so there's this kind of like, I don't know if it's like a, a bookend plot or a framing device or something where it starts with Tom Campbell, the cop, 
um, he he comes across this uh, jewelry store robbery that's in progress, but the the thieves get away in the beginning, and then he runs into the police box to try to summon more cops. But then, of course, that's the the TARDIS, and the the, the plot ensues. Um, and then it ends with him saying, can you actually take me back a few minutes before the robbery? So he's able to arrest the thieves before they do the heist. <laughs> and um, and uh, so he, he saves the day. And um, actually, I think he, he arrests them. Like as they come out of the, the thing, they get into the car to drive off because he got into it while they were. Anyway, there's this whole like robbery police thing. Um, and I know ACAB, we are not pro-cop in any stretch, but Tom Campbell is actually like, Eh, as likable as a cop is ever going to be because a this is the 60s b uh-huh. he's in the uk so he has that like charming like tall hat round oh hat, sure sure thing. yeah and like he's armed with this you know how you see the nightsticks but not like modern nightsticks which are like you know these hard things with like the crossbar that you used to like be but the more cartoony nightstick that just looks like this piece of rubber that like you uh, would, uh-huh yeah, he's got one of those. That's all he's got. Nice. So. And, and, and a whistle. That's his equipment. So Nice. Yeah. Uh, Tom Campbell. I, I'll also mention that there is no love triangle in this whatsoever. There's a lot of things missing, which I think make this movie not worth watching and not as good as the serial, despite being in color and despite presumably being like a little shorter to watch. <laughs> Instead of Barbara and Jenny driving the truck through some Daleks, which is that iconic scene with that like strong... WLW energy to it. Uh-huh. Instead, it's just Susie and some older man that like she travels oh, with for a while who's part of the resistance. kind of lame. And even worse, there's no slither. Oh, man. And there's no sewer alligator. <laughs> what's so, the point, then? What's the point? But yeah, those are the Doctor Who movies starring Peter Cushing from the 60s. To me, the most interesting part of the whole experience was that like... In in the real Doctor Who, we were always like, why did they have to make Doctor Who? Or why did they have to make the, the Doctor into this grumpy old bastard? Why couldn't they have made him this twinkly-eyed old gentleman? And, you know, this eccentric scientist who's kind of like, you know, kind of this fun, quirky grandpa. Mm-hmm. And in Doctor Who and the Daleks and Daleks' Invasion Earth 2150 AD... <laughs> That's who he is. Like, huh. you actually get that doctor, or I guess you get that doctor who. Interesting. And in the, the real doctor who, everyone's always calling Susan a young girl or, you know, whatever, treating her like this kid. Uh-huh. <laughs> this one, she actually is this little kid. <laughs> and then finally, in the real doctor who, we're always talking about how Ian and Barbara are an actual couple. And they mm-hmm. are, they actually are a real couple, like they are a real couple in real Doctor Who as well. That, that's not different at all, that's the exact same. <laughs> no difference between the, 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 the movies and the, the show there uh, nice. whatsoever. Nice. The, the barbarian so, sails on. Yes, the barbarian exists in every universe, in every, every reality. Indeed. Cool. Well, Kyle, I hope this was fun. Um... I wasn't sure how long it would go. It's gone almost two hours now, so I think we uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Um, <laughs> hope this is interesting for you listeners. Let us know. Uh, you know, you can always uh, email us at doctor at what is it? The doctor's the watcher, doctor's watcher. The doctor's watcher at gmail.com. Tweet us at doctor watcher. Thank you to Circus Twenty Three for our theme song. You can check him out on SoundCloud. And um, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to Benny for 
watching these ridiculous <laughs> movies and telling me about them. And thank you to Kyle for listening to me talk about these ridiculous movies. And thank you to all you listeners for listening to Benny tell me about all these ridiculous movies. <laughs> yeah. All right. See you next time for reels this time. <laughs> uh-huh. Bye. Bye. And at that moment, a uh, blue Dalek arrives with flute. A uh, blue... <laughs> you make this look so easy, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs>